Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We're in the middle of a series called Live Loud. Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in a town called Colossae. And that sounds a lot like the word colossal. Colossal. Huge. And it is. It's the same thing. Because the city of Colossae used to be a big deal. Back in that day, it was 30,000 plus people. It It was a big town, big city. But Rome had kind of built this series of highways for trade, but also for military purposes. And Colossae got bypassed. The town actually went, or the the highway kind of went through some other towns. And so it just had an economic impact on the town of Colossae. And so it just kind of began to economically struggle. There was a big earthquake in and around this time that Paul writes this letter. You'll see some of that today when he talks a little bit about their struggles and, and their trials. And they're new Christians, they're new believers. The gospel is beginning to spread through what we would call Asia Minor. It's really south of Europe. And the gospel would eventually get into the European continent through Italy and so on and so forth. But the Christians of Colossae are brand new Christians. I mean, all they know is that they're saved by Jesus and they want all of that. And they're very hungry. They're very eager to learn more, which creates a little bit of a vulnerability. Because they were such new Christians, they really weren't grounded in theology, they really weren't grounded in a lot of truth about Jesus, they just accepted Jesus, and so it made them an easy target for traveling preachers that would go from town to town and church to church, and they would come in, and and they would tell good stories, not be funny, and, and they might say things that tickled your ears or gave you goose pimples and felt really good, but it may not be true. Just because somebody has a laptop or can publish a website or can write a blog or post something on Facebook doesn't mean necessarily what they're always posting is true, which is why it's important that Paul was writing this letter. It's why we as Christians need to be rooted and grounded in the study of God and know the things of God. And Paul writes this letter to kind of cheer them on. I don't know you personally, we'll see that today, but I'm celebrating you, I'm cheering for you. I'm also hurting with you because their town had just been through a lot. And today... Paul is going to give you a formula for a happy life. I mean, who doesn't want to live a happy life? And that's what what he's going to do. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to jump in. We'll start with verse 1. Be patient with me. First three or four verses, I'm just going to stop and explain what's going on, and then we'll jump into 6 and 7, which is where we kind of get this formula for a happy life. Verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you. I know Colossi's struggling. I know that it's not the city that it used to be. I know a lot of people have left. I know the town is kind of on the down. Like, there's nothing there now. Like, they haven't even excavated the ruins of Colossae because there's just nothing there. They'd also been through an earthquake, and it had devastated a big part of that town. And some people just never rebuilt. They just relocated. And he says, I've agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul never met the Colossians. He'd only heard about them. Verse 2, I want them to be encouraged. I want them to be knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The idea of mysteries 
was huge in Greek culture. Philosophers spent hours talking and debating things in the unknown, things in the spiritual. So Paul is writing this letter and he's using terms that would relate to them, that are relatable to them. Oh, mysteries? I'm listening now. You talked about the mysteries. And he goes, yeah, the mysteries that you've been looking for, the things that are unknown, that's all solvable in who the person of Jesus Christ is. Verse 4, I'm telling you this, this is why he's writing this letter, so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Some traveling preacher may come through and, and may say some stuff that's really good, like, hey, we need to be worshiping angels, and, and oh, that makes it, and might try to deceive you with some things. And so just because a guy can tell some jokes and be funny and good and so on and so forth, you won't fall for it. I'm writing this letter to center you, give you some base knowledge and foundational truth of who Jesus Christ is. Because someone has a blog or a laptop or can write an article doesn't mean they're giving the right information. I'm all for freedom of the press. I'm all for freedom of expression. So glad we live in the country that we have that. But this is why you and I as Christians must have biblically grounded roots in who God is and who Jesus Christ is and who our relationship is with him. That's why parents need to raise their kids by having the right conversations by exposing them to the truth, by keeping them centered on Jesus, by making sure our children have a biblical worldview, that we view the world through the lens of the Bible. Because with technology and exposure of everything we have to, it's so easy to hear somebody that can, oh, well, you know what, that sounds pretty interesting. That, that sounds, ooh, that kind of makes me feel good. And what they may be saying may not be true. And so you and I have to be grounded and rooted in the word of God. Otherwise, we will be easily led astray. The Colossians did not have the Bible. The Colossians did not have all these translations, did not have the internet, did not have all these study tools and version, all these things. And so Paul is writing this letter to give them a theological foundation of who Jesus Christ is. Verse 5. For though I am far away from you, he's in Rome, not in prison, he's under house arrest. So he always had a Roman guard with him, but he was in a house. He couldn't leave, but people could come to him. People could bring him food. People could bring him clothes. People could come spend the day with him. They could talk with Paul about Jesus and all those things. And he says, well, I'm far away from you. You're there in Colossae. I'm up here in Rome, and I rejoice that you are living as you should. You guys are new Christians. Man, you got a great reputation. I'm celebrating you. You're living as you should. And your faith in Christ is strong. So he's encouraging them in this letter. Week one, we talked about that, how they were living loud. Like, I don't know you personally, but I know your reputation, and you have a reputation for faith, hope, and love. You're new Christians. Just go get it. Just go. Week two, we talked about how Paul gave them this beautiful song or this beautiful poem. It was intended for them to easily recite, much like we might do with hymns, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I know that's not necessarily biblical verses, but it's ideas about who God is that when we get in hard times, I may not can quote Romans 8, 28, but I might have this song in my heart that I've learned to help me remember and keep me centered on who Jesus Christ is. And this week, as we jump into Colossians chapter 2, what you're going to see in just a moment, Paul gives them this formula. He gives them this formula. And honestly, this is not the first time in Scripture you see that. Throughout the Bible, all the way from Genesis to later on in the New Testament, you see this process, you see this formula 
for how to live a happy Christian life. My granddad passed away, and I know I've said this a lot lately, but it's just, it's just one of the things I look forward to when I wake up. I got his Bible that he used to read, and it would sit right there by his recliner. And so in the morning, I get up, and, and I drink my coffee, and I open up my granddad's Bible, and I read it. It's a New Living Translation, same translation that I do a lot of reading in. And as I was reading it this week, Colossians chapter 2 the, the translators, this is, this is not a verse in the Bible, but the people who are translating it, they put this heading on it. Again, this is not in Scripture. It's just a heading that the translators give. And it says this. It says, freedom from rules and a new life in Christ. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the beginning of humanity's story. Satan has always painted the picture that God is a heavy God. God's mad at you. God's full of hatred. God's full of anger. You got to do the stuff to keep God happy. God is rules. The enemy has always painted this picture that God's a fun hater and he's keeping something from you. Paul grew up in that. Paul grew up in a very heavy Jewish religious culture and he discovered the grace and the freedom and the mercy of Jesus and when he talks about the mysterious or the mystery of Jesus, that's exactly what he's talking about, is that God is full of love and mercy and grace. It's a new mystery in Jesus. And I want to look at verse 6 and 7, because in verse 6 and 7, you're going to see this formula for living a happy Christian life. If you're ready, say amen. Verse 6 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus our Lord, your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thanks, thankfulness. Two verses, four-step process, little formula for here of how to live a happy Christian. And I know, I know sometimes we push away from the word happy. Jesus didn't die for me to be happy. That's true. Jesus died for you to be forgiven. But, man, I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to enjoy life. I want my kids to be fulfilled. And so if happy gives you an issue, then you can sub in the word fulfilled. How to live a fulfilled Christian life. The first step in the formula, the first step in the process, down in verse 6, it says, And now, just as you accepted Jesus as your Lord, the first step is just saved. Just being in relationship with Jesus. That's the foundation for everything. That's the foundation is just being a Christian, a follower of Christ. There's so many different ways that you can say it. Having placed your faith in Christ, having accepted the message of Jesus. Paul is saying you've taken the first step. You've made Jesus your Lord and your Savior. You're now a follower of Christ. God wants to be in relationship with us. God wants to be in relationship with everyone. Not just those who are Christians. God desires to be in relationship with every human being. But the problem is we've all sinned. And that sin, it separates us from God. He is perfect and holy. And sin is, puts this just this vast separation between us and God. But God knew that was a problem, so God solved the problem. The good news is, while I was dead in sin, Christ died. He built a bridge so that I could live in relationship with him. We are all in need of forgiveness and salvation. Romans 10, 9, that says, if you will confess with your mouth, 
One translation says, if you'll openly declare that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, if you believe in your heart that something supernatural happened there, he is divine, he is God's son, then you can be, everybody say that word with me, saved. When you confess and believe, when you confess and believe, then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 happens. God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for this because you didn't buy it, you didn't pay for it, you didn't earn it, you weren't good enough. It wasn't like God was looking down and going, whoa, 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 that one right there. He is really, really good. We need him on our team. Let's just save him. Mm -mm. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But when you confess and when you believe, God saved you by his grace at that moment when you believe. You can't take credit for it. It is a free gift from God. When I openly confess that Jesus is my Lord, when I believe in my heart he was dead and God raised him from the life and he is the son of God, when I do that, God saved me by his grace. Meaning all I have to do is confess and believe. Not write a check, couldn't write one big enough anyway. Not clean myself up, couldn't do enough anyway. Not go to church a bunch, not go through a confirmation class, not stop sinning. I just had to confess and believe. And when I did that, God saved me by his grace. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't earn it. But God, who is rich in his mercy, forgave me and he saved me. Aren't you grateful for that? So step one in this formula for a happy Christian life is you got to be saved. You got to be a Christian. You've got to have accepted the message of Jesus. You've got to confess and believe. Step two is where this starts to get real swirly. Because sometimes we want to, we, we mix up and confuse step two with step one. It gets a little bit wonky. I'm going to unpack all of that. Step two found in the second part of verse six. It says, and now just as you accepted Christ, you confessed and believed. You received Jesus as your Savior. You must continue to follow in him. Some translations say you need to walk with him. I just simplified it and said obey. That's step two. Step two in this formula for being a happy Christian is you have to obey. Just do what Jesus asks you to do. Like when you're a new Christian, you don't always know what, can I do that? Can I not do that? And just let God, just do your best. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Abide with him. Walk with him. Read his word. Obey. Jesus says it this way. If you love me, if you're one of my followers, then you'll just... Obey me. You'll obey my commandments. If I'm going to get to that happy life part here in just a little bit, but this salvation and obedience where these two comes together, it gets real confusing. And a, a lot of churches or, or a lot of theologies or a lot of denominations, it, it kind of gets mixed up and, and it gets really confusing. So I'm going to do my best this morning just to break it down, separate the two, and show you how they work together in the flow of life in this formula for living a happy Christian life. Because you have one biblical principle that tumps into another biblical principle that tumps into another biblical principle, and they're supposed to build on top of each other, not compete with. Am I saved by faith? Yes. There's this, I'm saved by faith alone, through God's grace alone, because of Christ alone. So I'm saved by faith, yes. So I can't earn it. Correct, you cannot earn it. It's only by faith. By confessing and believing that I'm saved. Correct. 
Let me clarify. I'm not saved by obeying God. Nope. You're saved by faith. You're saved because of the grace of God. So I'm saved by faith, not by obeying. But a saved faith will obey. They're two separate ideas. And we get, we, we get them confused. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Not because I obeyed a bunch of rules. But a saved faith will obey God. That faith that was big enough and bold enough for me to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that faith that caused me to confess him boldly with my life, will also be a faith that is big enough to kind of push me to obey him. Like even, even on the bad days, even when I want to cuss the dog, you know what I'm saying? There's something, there's this calling, there's this faith, this relationship with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. It's this internal desire to get back and walk with Jesus. Even when you have those seasons where you get mad and you walk away, or you just want to go binge sin, there's still this calling on the inside. Get back and obey the commandments of Christ. Walk with him. Obeying the commands doesn't save me, but because I'm saved, I will obey. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> right? So I've told Matt and Cassie this a lot over the last few months. I'm just telling you, when you have children, it completely changes your perspective on life, and it completely changes your perspective on how God looks at us. And the mysteries of God just became Help, they begin to make sense to me once we had kids. You see life from a totally different perspective. And so when Landon <clears throat> was a little fella and toddler, and he was, we, we used to have a, a love seat and a couch that, that kind of made this L in the house. And so Jerry would sit on one, I'd sit on the other, and he would just kind of, you know, when kids are learning how to walk, they have to have something to stabilize them. And he would just go from one and back and forth to the other, and he's learning, he's getting his walking legs on him. And one night we're sitting there, and he goes from the couch and let's go, and walks over to the love seat. And he took his first steps, and we were like, ah, did that just happen? Oh my gosh, he's getting so big. Baby Landon just took his first step. And the minute that he did that, I got out his car keys. And I said, here, baby, you're going to be 16 pretty soon. Here's your car. You can go drive me. Right? No, that, that's not how that progression goes. We didn't do it in that order. He had to learn to walk. And he had to learn to run. He had to learn to tie his own shoes. He had to learn to brush his own teeth. He had to learn to dress himself and then pick out his own clothes. Then he had to learn to be responsible for his own homework, not every night when he got home. Landon, do you have homework? Okay, let's get that out. But he had to learn how to be responsible for his own stuff. So there is this progression that takes place through him just learning how to obey. Someone gets saved. They don't know what to do. Just walk with Christ. Just, just do your best and just follow Jesus. Just do your best to obey him. Do what Jesus says do. And here's the deal. Jesus kept it simple. There were 613 Hebrew laws, 613 rules in the Jewish religion that you had to have memorized, had to abide by. Jesus took all 613 of them and he boiled it down to two. He said, you need to love God, you need to love your neighbor. Jesus kept it simple, like repent. If you love God, you'll repent. If you love God, you'll ask for forgiveness. If you love God, you'll take a day to rest and worship. If you love God, 
I'll not dishonor his name. I will keep him holy. If you love your neighbor, you'll forgive. If you love your neighbor, even if they're your enemy, you'll love your enemy. If you love your enemy, you won't lust after his wife. Jesus took all that and he simplified it into love God and love your neighbor. And Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, hey, you've got the first part. You've received Jesus. Now that you're saved, let's start walking with Jesus. Just do your best to abide with him. Just do your best. Listen for his voice. Learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And go from taking that first step to learning how to run and then brush your teeth on your own and then tie your own shoes. And there's going to come a day your daddy's going to let you drive the riding lawnmower and you're going to learn how to steer and turn and what gas means and brakes. You're going to learn the principles of stop and go. Then when you're ready, then you get the keys to the car. Then there comes a day where you're going to drop him off at college and you're going to cry a lot about it. It's fine. I'm fine. Everyone's fine. It's fine. So the first step in the form is being saved. The second step is you just got to obey. You just got to obey. That's how you're going to learn how to drive. And then the third step is you grow. You'll see it over and over in this verse. Verse 6, now you receive Jesus. You accepted Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Continue to obey. Continue to follow him. Verse 7, let your roots, everybody say it with me, grow. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will, there it is again, grow strong in the truth of what you were taught. As you obey him, your faith is going to begin to grow. And as you, your faith begins to grow as you walk with Jesus. And this is, this is things you're going to start to see when you're in this step. Things that used to rattle you, don't rattle you anymore. Things that used to upset you, don't upset you anymore. Things on the naughty list that used to be a really big temptation, they're not a really big temptation anymore. People you used to struggle with, <laughs> Just can't do it. You all of a sudden, like, you know what? You realize they have hurts and wounds that cause them to act the way they do, and, and they can do that. I'm not going to let their emotions impact my emotions, and because I've needed a lot of grace in my life, I can have grace for people too. And as you grow in your faith, there is this fruit, there's this byproduct called maturity. And one day, somebody's going to walk up to you, and this is what they're going to say. Man, you're so lucky. Your wife never fights with you. Man, if I, was, if I had a wife like that, I'd be, I'd be happy. Like, what's that like to never have to fight as a married couple? <laughs> Son, first of all, let me tell you what 15 years ago was like. Buddy, this ain't always been easy. There's lots of days I have had a crick in my neck because I had to sleep on the couch because we weren't in speaking terms. There were lots of nights I had to get up and get an extra blanket because that cold shoulder she was throwing off was putting a chill in the air. You know what I'm saying? It's too cold to sleep. And what looks like luck now is years and years of growing pains and years of forgiving and years of just growing up. And as you grow in your faith, as you walk with Jesus, you will also grow in wisdom and maturity and you'll grow up emotionally. And we all, don't point anybody out. They don't go to this church anyway, right? They don't go here. But we all know people who look mature, but they never grew up. You'll see them in the checkout line at Walmart when something didn't right, ring up right. And you're in that line, and it's going to take 10 minutes to figure it out, right? Or you're going to see them at the doctor's office 
when they have to sit there an extra 15 minutes longer because the doctor was needed for something else. And the poor little sweet girl sitting there at the receptionist desk, she gets an earful because this is just ridiculous. We know those people that the waiter gets the order wrong or the cook doesn't make the taco right and we have to speak to the manager because the taco wasn't what you wanted. Listen, when the fleshly side of me can overpower the spiritual side that easy over a taco, I got some growing up to do. And I'm going to say, we took our first step, and Daddy said, here's the car keys, go drive. This might be quotable. Immature people are typically unhappy people. And I'm not talking about us, right? None of that here. They're always unhappy because they don't always get their way. They can have all the money in the world, all the stuff in the world, Everything can always go their way. Everybody just kind of gives them what they want so they won't throw a fit, right? And they're still just unhappy people. The truth is, those things won't make you happy anyway. They're all empty. They're unfulfilling. I mean, sure, you buy the new toy for a while. It's kind of cool. And then buyer's remorse kicks in, right? And Paul has a formula for living a happy life. And who doesn't want to be happy? It starts with a foundation that you've accepted Jesus. You're saved. And then you're walking with him. I don't know how to be saved, but just daily, I'm just trying to walk with Jesus. I'm just trying to love God and, and love people and read his Bible and learn more about him. I'm just, I'm just walking. I'm taking baby steps and maybe running some days and other days I'm falling down. And then third, as you obey, you will be, you'll begin to grow. Your faith will mature. You'll become rooted is what Paul says. And then he says this, just as you've accepted Christ as your Lord. You continue to walk with him and follow him. Let your roots grow down in him. Let your lives be built on him. Your faith may grow stronger in the truth you were taught, and you will, here it is, overflow with thankfulness. I find in the New Living Translation, he doesn't command them to overflow in thankfulness. He says, you will. This is a byproduct that will happen if you do these other things. You just come to a place, you just can't help it. You just be happy. It overflows. You're so grateful for what God's done for you. Even in the bad days, even when God said no, even when you went through tragedy, as you mature and you trust God and you trust his word, you can kind of look back on some of that stuff and say, I may not understand why I went through all that pain, but God, I've seen you use that pain to help other people. I know that there can be a purpose in my pain. And so number four, you just overflow. You save, you obey, you grow, and now you just overflow. And this isn't even commandment. He just says, you will. When you get here, it'll just happen. You'll just overflow with gratitude for all the things that God has got you through and God things that God has done. This is what I've discovered. Grateful people are happy people. Take a kid, and you give them something they weren't expecting, and they got the right heart about it. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh, thank you. Daddy, this is perfect. Mama, I love it. You take that kid, man, a grateful kid's a happy kid. Or you can take the kid that they're telling you what they want for Christmas in August, and then when it rolls around, you didn't get the right thing or enough things, and they overflowing all right. It just ain't the right flow. You know what I'm saying? They're like mad. <laughs> Daddy, this is the wrong one. Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? This, I can only put like 3,000 songs on this, not 6,000. Like, baby. You know, and you get the eye roll. Okay, sweetie, I spent all that money just to see you pout. It's fine. It's great. You know what I'm saying? That's overflowing. It's just overflowing in the wrong direction. 
when Jesus is the foundation that you've received, when you confess and believe, when you're saved, when you're walking with Christ, and when you obey, it gets hard and there's growing pains and, and sometimes you just have to trust and you just have to learn how to walk and sometimes you have to run. I don't want to forgive, but you, you got to do that. I, I want to live offended, but you can't live that way. I don't want to be generous. I want to keep my stuff, but God says I need to be generous. And when you just learn how to obey, and then when you grow and maturity begins to take place, all of a sudden this leads to a life overflowing with thanksgiving. And the world won't buy it. Because it completely goes against what the world says. The world's like, I'm going to have me and mine, and I want for me and mine, and the world is a very selfish mentality, and Christianity calls us to live differently. The problem is we love shortcuts in Oklahoma in 2021. We want to go from receiving Jesus to living in the overflow, and it just doesn't work that way. We want to go from baby took his first step to here's your car, good luck. It just doesn't, God has a process for us. God has steps and a formula for us to grow throughout the Bible from Genesis to later on in the New Testament. Over and over and over, there is this process. This is not the only place in Scripture where these four things pop up. And here's the deal. If, this, if you like this, you're the right place because this process, this step, is what energizes the vision of who we are as a church. It's why we do what we do, okay? First and foremost, we want people to know God. Well, that's the first thing. We want people to get saved. We want people to confess and believe. We want people to experience the forgiveness. We want to see people receive Jesus. Listen, heaven and hell are a really big deal. And one of the commandments that Jesus gave us that we need to obey is go and tell. God wants his church to grow. God wants people to get saved. This is one of the reasons why this old troubled world, why Jesus hadn't come back and got the church yet, one of the reasons why we're still in the shape we're in is because God is waiting for one more person to get saved. He's waiting for some more people to get saved. Found in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What promise? To come get the church. The Lord is not slow in keeping that promise as some people think is slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants them to make the right decision. He wants them to say yes to the calling of Jesus knocking on their heart's door. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is right there next to his dad up in heaven. God's seated on the throne. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He's like, can I go today? Not today. Come on, Daddy, I'm ready to go get to church. I'm ready. I got some people down there I want to see. Can I go get to church? Not today. I'm waiting. I'm just hoping that today, I'm just hoping today that one more, some more, some more today might get saved. That's why God hasn't sent Jesus to get the church, is he is on a mission to see people get saved. Amen, everybody? So years ago, Landon and I played a lot of hide-and-go-seek. And the house we lived in, it wasn't a three-story house. It was a split level. So really it was a two-story, but there was a third level kind of halfway in between. So it had some really cool hiding places in it. It is. And so we would play a lot of hide-and-seek. And so one day... Um, he decided to play hide-and-seek. He just didn't bother to tell us. <laughs> and so we were getting ready to go somewhere, and our house sat right on the corner of two busy streets. And there were always cars, and they were speeding and going too fast. And I, 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 I know we were getting ready to leave. I don't remember if the garage was open. I don't know if I had the car started. It's cold. I, I probably did. And I'm like, ah, baby, you ready? All right, let's go. Land it. And he was probably three 
maybe four, and we played a lot of hide-and-seek. Land in. <laughs> I ain't playing with you. Come on. Land in. And so all of a sudden, our minds went, oh, my gosh, where's he at? So I go look in the garage. Maybe he's in the car. Nope, not in there. In the garage door, and I'm like, so I got to run outside. Is he in the backyard? Is he in the front yard? And Jerry's checking the front door. Did he open the front door? Did he go out in the backyard? And so all of a sudden, we are frantically looking for our child. We go upstairs, go in our bedroom, look under the bed. Land in. I, it's not time to play hide and seek. I ain't messing with you. You know, and I walk into the extra bedroom, and I'm going, land in, and I hear this. <laughs> you know, you hear this little giggle hiding in the closet. You are a naughty, naughty little boy. You know what I'm saying? Get up, get up. We are not playing. I'm going to hide your skin, your time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going off like a Tasmanian bottle rocket. Jerry and I were both frantically looking for our child. We go outside. I mean, your mind goes there. Now, I'm the groom. He's the bride. Let me be very clear. Jerry was probably more frantically looking for him than I was. We were both looking for our child. But what if in that moment where I'm trying to get us out the door and it's time to go and I can't find Landon, he's lost somewhere, and I'm looking for him and I'm searching for him and she just plops down on the couch. <sighs> where are we going for dinner? Oh my gosh. Look at this on Facebook. Oh my Lord. What about me? I'm lost. Hello, I'm right here. Why don't you take care of me? You know, I'm hungry. Can we go now? Can we go? He did not do that. I'm just clarifying. But I'm saying, what if he had, she asked, those would have been very valid questions, just not right there in that moment. Baby girl, I know you hungry. <laughs> I will feed you in a minute. But right now I have a lost child that I'm looking for. I almost feel like today in the church, that there is a groom that is out looking to seek and save that which is lost. And sometimes there's a bride sitting on the couch going, oh my gosh, what about me? When are you going to feed me? What about my needs? And listen, those are fine questions, but not when we are on a mission to seek and save that which is lost. We want people to know God. We as the bride of Christ want to help Jesus find some lost kids. We want people to find freedom. Freedom just comes through obedience. Landon was given freedom at 16 to drive his car. He got freedom, I got freedom. I think I got more than he did, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? No more having to be at school at 7 a.m. But because he obeyed at five years old and 12 years old and 14 years old and 15 and a half when I'm giving him driving lessons, because he had obeyed then, when it came time, there was freedom in his life. Freedom comes through obedience. You got to trust the process. Might not understand it, but I just need to do what Jesus tells me to do. And that's how freedom grows in our life. You're not always going to understand it. You're not always going to want to do it. But when you don't know what to do, just obey. We want people to know God. We want people to find freedom. We want people to discover their purpose. Everybody strongly, loudly encourage me. Say, I love BK. I don't feel like some of y'all love me very much right there. It's okay. It's fine. We are created in the image of God. And God created you with a purpose. 
And growth happens when you discover the flow of the Christian life. And here's, here, you ready? I'm gonna give you the flow of Christian life, not, not the four formula I'm talking about. This is, how, this is how the Christian life is designed to live. It's designed to live from the inside out. Jesus said it this way. If you wanna be my follower, deny yourself. Don't be selfish. Don't, what about me? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. The Christian life is designed with the flow of inside out. And we live in such a what's in it for me society and I'm offended if you don't give it to me. And Jesus is calling to church to live a completely opposite life. And, and here's where this gets swirly. For the sake of reaching people, which is good, that intent is good. For the sake of people getting saved, we want people to know God. The church is in the people business. But for decades, the church being about people, is it possible that we have made the church about us and not about him? I'm just gonna let that set for just a minute. After decades, we have developed this idea that Christianity is all about me, all about feeding my needs, all about feeding me, all about getting what I need, all about how I think things should go. And this is hard to hear. We don't want to hear it, but this idea is upside down from biblical Christianity. As you grow, you're going to discover you have a purpose. You have a contribution to the body. You have a role to play. You have a part to give. And if you approach church, and if you approach Christianity from, hey, what's in it for me? You're just always gonna be mad at the receptionist in the doctor's office, because this is ridiculous. You're gonna always be asking to talk to the manager because your taco wasn't right. You're always gonna be hurt, and frustrated, and disappointed, and what about me? And why didn't I get to? And why aren't my needs being met? When God is out there on a mission seeking and saving that which is lost, and he's looking for a bride that'll go help him. If you think your purpose in life is to give you everything you want and collect as many toys as you want, and if you think the purpose of the church is always make you happy, you're just gonna be frustrated because that's not how God wrote the script. God created you for a purpose, to contribute, to help, find lost kids. Sometimes that means hold babies. Sometimes that means work on a serve day. Sometimes that helps us reach the world around us. We want people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This is where the Christian life moves into the overflow. This is where it moves from, I have to do this to I get to do this. And there are people in this room that live in this. They live in this overflow. I think about Miss Pam Jackson. Almost every Sunday as everybody's all gone off and they're off doing lunch or whatever, and my family and I, we're still trying to wrap up and get out of here. Miss Pam, she always comes walking through that lobby and she always has a trash can. She always has a trash bag full of dirty, stinky diapers. There's a special place in heaven for that, amen? You know what I'm saying? She's gonna be elevated above me in heaven. And I always go, oh, Miss Pam, I always try to hug her and I go, thank you so much. This is what she'll say. She says, I, I get to do this. And I think about Kelly and April McMichael. They set this room up for church on Sunday. They pray over it on Saturday. They come in early on Sunday morning. They pray over the chairs you're setting in. And I always go, my goodness, guys, thank you so much for everything you do. No, 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 no. We get to do this. Think about Keith Wright sitting back there, big old teddy bear in the sound booth. When I walk off here, I always take my microphone back there and give it to me, always just bear hugs me. I always go, man, dude, you had him sounding tuned in today. You had him sounding good. He goes, oh, man, I get to do this. 
That's living out of the overflow. It's not a commandment to be grateful. He says you will have an overflow of gratitude because of all the things that God has done in your life. You cannot go from receiving Jesus to overflowing with gratitude. You cannot go from knowing God to making a difference. There is a process that you have to go through and grow through. And sometimes some of us get stuck. Some of you may have been Christians forever and, and you just, you're, you ain't living in the overflow. You're just, I'm just stuck. Then go back. Go back to what's the last thing God told you to do. Go back to just simply obeying God today. I just want to obey you in every little decision. God today, I just want to hear your voice. God today, I just want to follow you. God today, just am I growing? Am I still growing in my faith? Or have I become complacent? Have I become self? Do I know so much about Jesus that I don't need to grow anymore? And God's just saying, listen, today I want you to take your next step. Today I want you to take your next step. Today I want you to take your next step. You can't do any of this if you haven't started on the foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ and made him your Lord and Savior. And if you're watching online today, you're sitting in this room, I don't want to miss this moment that I don't give you an opportunity to step into relationship with your creator who loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. He solved the problem of us being separated from him because he sent his son Jesus Christ to die and built a bridge for And if that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk a mile. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. Here's the deal with prayer. It's the best way I know how to believe and confess. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you're watching online, you need this right now, I just invite you right there. Just pray this prayer with me. You ready? Just say this right there. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I've made a lot of mistakes in life. Would you forgive me? I don't want that life anymore. Would you come in, begin to change me? I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. And today I completely surrender my whole life. Head bowed, never eye closed. I promise, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand real high. Anyone here? God, we pray for hundreds of people, maybe watching online, Father, through our kids' ministry, through our preschool ministry, through our day school, through our student ministry, Lord, through our small groups. We pray for hundreds of people to come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, Lord, because as a church, we want to make a difference in the calling you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.